It is time for another week of Jay talking our way around the Blue Jays organization. It is time for Around the Nest, episode 14, coming your way. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassel, and let's get right into it. I'm joined now by the voice of the Bluefield Blue Jays, Zach Helton. Zach, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing very well. Let's start off by talking about your hitting. How about that Bluefield lineup as of late? They've been hitting very well. Uh, they've kind of hit a dry patch, though. We went four and three this week. Uh, we kind of saw Bluefield actually be human. <laughs> Some of the kids, uh, you know, slacking off a touch. But uh, Abadesa is still hitting 369, even though he's hit a little rough patch in the past 10 games. Rafael Antiguas came on, and uh, really he's only played 10 games. He's still hitting 357. DJ Neal, still among the leaders in extra base hits, along with uh, Luis De Los Santos. Those guys, along with Alejandro Kirk, who uh, uh, had a big home run the other night in the loss. He took the lead in the eighth, but still leads the league in RBIs with 22. He's still hitting 333, uh, all while catching and DHing. So uh, Kirk's very impressive. They're all very impressive. This week, they've just hit a buzzsaw against a couple of great teams in Kingsport and Princeton. Uh, Princeton's not far behind us in the East. I think three games back now after last night's win, and Kingsport still leads the Western Division. So uh, some great competition the past couple weeks. They went four and three, and tonight at Princeton at home in the uh, end of the four-game stretch. So uh, I, I think the guys have uh, kind of seen, oh, this is the best of the best in the league. We've got to tune up our uh, our game just a couple of notches. With the Bluefield Jays and with the Princeton Rays, that battle between those two teams for the Mercer Cup every single year just fascinates me. How are things going right now, and how are things feeling with your Mercer Cup chances? Uh, you know, I feel really good. Uh, it's kind of just night-by-night basis. Uh, we're in, uh, tonight's the fourth game of a uh, four-game stretch with the Rays. Uh, they've taken two out of three so far. So they lead the Mercer Cup going into tonight 3-2. to two. So if we can eke out a win at home, uh, we'll uh, tie that thing up at 3-3. Uh, it'll be a few, uh, I think, another week and a half before we'll see them again. But it's always such an intriguing matchup. Both teams in the in Mercer County who are very good this year. Sometimes one's better than the other, and, and it kind of shows on the field. But this year, both these teams are really good and really hot. And I, it's going to be, I think, down to the last series between these two, who uh, ekes out the Mercer Cup. And it could play big in playoff implications in the Eastern Division as well. We had Rafael Lasso, the Gulf Coast League pitching coach, drop by Lansing recently, and he told me Claudio Galva has an intriguing arm. What do you think of Claudio? He uh, He's had a couple of great outings, 2-0 and on the year, a 3.00 ERA. He had a no decision in the loss against Princeton the other night. He had four Ks. Uh, a walk, give up four runs, kind of scattered them out. But, uh, you know, that Princeton lineup is pretty good. And he was uh, – he has a pretty good arm. Uh, I, I'm just impressed by how he spots his pitches. He he kind of goes in to a, a lineup with a, just a great, great idea of what he's going to do with each batter and uh, mixes up his pitches very well, pitches uh, – uh, back into counts many times, you know, may uh, lose a pitch or two and the batter will be ahead in the count, but he'll pitch his way back and he's always battling. And it's always good to see a young arm like, like Galvin. 
Let me ask about another one of your starters. How about Nathaniel Perez, who turned in a gem the other day? Yeah, last night, six innings pitch and got the win, seven Ks. He's 2-0 and in the year now. Uh, he uh, pitched a heck of a ball game last night. Uh, it was uh, – he had the lead most of the night, and it was kind of – I was sitting up there uh, waiting to see how long is Dennis going to let him go, let him go six innings last night, and uh, he earned he earned the win last night. We held him off in the end last night, but – uh, Perez, uh, a great, great outing last night, and I expect more of that out of him going forward. We were talking about potential players moving from Bluefield up to Vancouver. We're starting to see more. Otto Lopez certainly has made an impression. You mentioned Sean Rakowski, your closer, at six seven out of Kansas. What has made him tough on the Appy League batters? Just he – his – follow through it seems like he's letting go of the baseball about three feet from home plate he's such a big arm and he leads the league and wins at 4-0 and saves he got his fifth last night came in and shut the door in the win 1.93 era he's so intimidating when he comes out and he throws a heavy ball i just you can see the the guys coming to the plate and they're uh you know they don't want to be there very long with Rakowski on the bump. He he throws so hard and throws so heavy. Uh, when you, I think he b- broke uh, a couple of bats last night as well, burying fastballs in on the hands. There's another reliever who most definitely interests me, to put it mildly, and that is Josh Almonte, whom I saw in Lansing as an outfielder and now is making a go of it as a pitcher. How is that conversion coming along? What's the latest with Almonte? Yeah, he's more of a middle-inning guy, and he's had uh, some great outings. Last night, I think he pitched uh, an inning and two-thirds. Uh, he give give the ball up to Rakowski, but uh, he had a, a pretty good outing. Uh, he throws uh, – he's he's kind of like a bulldog. He's, he's a little more uh, stout than Rakowski, but he has so much pressure coming off that back leg that uh, anything he throws, whether it be a fastball, a sinker, curveball – it's just going to have so much spin on it that the batter's going to have trouble with it, regardless of where he thinks it's going. And uh, I think the uh, the switch from position player to pitcher, it was definitely a great call for uh, Almonte and whoever put it in his ear. You can find Zach Helton on Twitter at Z underscore Helton, H-E-L-T-O-N. The Bluefield Jays, bluefieldjays.com. Bluefield currently 17-6, and six, and right now they are hosting Princeton Tonight, followed by Danville through the weekend, ending up on Monday before heading on the road at Johnson City. Zach, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, as always, for having me on, Jesse. And from Zach and Bluefield, we promote our way up the ladder. Up to short season A, we become around the chest, and I bring in Rob Fay, voice of the Vancouver Canadians. Rob, how was your last week? I am about as good as I've seen in a while. Six and one over that stretch, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in first place in the North Division, which suits me just fine. Where do you want to begin with that six out of seven? Is it the hitters? Is it the pitchers? I'm going to start with the manager. I think Dallas McPherson is kind of an unknown entity to a lot of people within the Blue Jays organization because he's a first-year manager who had never managed higher than high school. So all of a sudden, the Toronto Blue Jays thought they had something there. They brought him into extended. He's coming to Vancouver, and Canadian fans we're looking around saying, boy, this team's 3-8. and eight. They're a championship team from a year ago. What's going on? 
But you know what? Composure is a beautiful thing when it's done properly. And Dallas McPherson, you look at him, he's a real ominous presence, six foot five, 235, 245 pounds, just a big drink of water. And all of a sudden you saw this almost older brother style coaching come into application. And it really just brought the temperature of the room down because there was a lot of people that would watch the opening montage on the video board and they would sit there and be like, oh, God, we're following a championship team. We're three and eight. What are we going to do? But Dallas McPherson was very calm in his approach, said that they just had to stick with it. He was out early working with these guys. A lot of times you'll see the Dave Panos of the world coming out at one in the afternoon working with the infielders. But the manager coming out, he was fantastic. He held the fort, and now all of a sudden the Canadians are starting to really take his identity onto the field. And that identity is a power-hitting team that is aggressive on the base pass. They do a lot of things right. Well, 45 stolen bases, only 14 times caught. I titled this episode, just for the fun of it, The Otto Lopez Experience. He's batting 438. <laughs> what has the Otto Lopez experience been like? Otto Lopez is kind of the Chavez Young of 2018 for the Vancouver Canadians. High energy, high intensity, a great personality to be around, and uh, a guy that does a little bit of everything. You get on first and you set your egg timer because you know he's going on the first or the second pitch, and chances are he'll steal that base for you. He's great defensively as well. Um, I really like the combination of Lopez at second and Vincent Capra, this year's draft pick at short. Those two immediate chemistry, and they have been dynamite, dynamic in the middle of the infield for the Canadians. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Otto Lopez with his first home run, showing he's got a little pop at the bat last night here in Boise. How about the middle part of your order? What's that combination of Conine and Jorman Rodriguez been like? Well, Jorman's kind of, you want to talk about an experience. Jorman Rodriguez is just that because it's all or nothing. He's 10 for 32 this season. No real power numbers, just two doubles, no home runs. Uh, but you know what? The thing with Jorman is he's a guy that's not afraid to drop down a bunt to try and move a runner over. He's got enough power to the opposite field that he can, with a runner at third, hit a sacrifice fly and cash in a run. He doesn't come up on the box score as much as he should but he's a guy that is producing for the Vancouver Canadians. And there's not much more I can say about Griffin Conine uh, other than outstanding. Everything is on the barrel of the bat. Everything is right through the middle of the zone. And the thing that I like about him, and I mentioned this the other week, Jesse, his defense is so fantastic to watch. He covers a ton of real estate in right field. He's got a cannon for an arm. But his first step, and I think this is something that scouts probably um, foam at the mouth when they watch Griffin Conine when he was at Duke University, his anticipation and his understanding of the game and where he should be uh, situationally is up there with the best that I think I've ever come across. His first step is just intuition. His sixth sense, Jesse, is why I think he's going to be an outfielder that you're going to have to watch down the line. Let's move to the starting rotation with Rob Fay talking Vancouver Canadians. How about Josh Winkowski's last start? How about it? It was pretty good. I mean, the thing with Winkowski is he never gets behind. This is the thing that I like. It's always 0-1 or 1-2 in the counts. And, you know, you can get into six and seven inning starts, even in short season baseball, when you're really, really efficient with your pitch count. Winkowski went into the sixth inning of his last start with only 57 pitches thrown. Getting a little bit of trouble in that last start when it came to that final frame. But at the same time, you look at efficiency, and that's where Jim Sikowski, the pitching coach for the Vancouver Canadians, really comes into play. He says, listen, it's like going to the grocery store. You got 100 bucks. You can sit there and buy one item, go right through the checkout, and be done in three minutes. 
or you can actually plan and eat for a whole week if you are efficient with your money and make sure that you've got a game plan when you take it to the mound. And I think you're starting to see a few pitchers uh, that really start to round to that form as well. But Winkowski and, and of course, Jordan Barrett, who's now up with you guys at Lansing, uh, those are two guys that are, well, midpoint of our rotation that have uh, really understood the philosophy of just pitching to your strengths and taking that pitch count as far as you possibly can. Now, how about another? How about Jose Espada? Last time on the mound, July the 9th, five innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, eight strikeouts. Was there a light bulb moment for him? You know what? There might have been, but Espada for me is still forgettable. I said this about Sean Weimer last week, and maybe I'm being a little too critical, but I'm starting to look at guys in their second seasons and third seasons within these lower levels as guys that need to be dominant. Not just every once in a while have a, quote, light bulb moment, but have consistent light bulb moments because they should be at this level, um, you know, three to one strikeout to walk ratios. They should be guys that should be mowing through orders at least the first or second times through the rotation. So, you know what? I see 32 strikeouts in 22 innings, and that's obviously eyebrow raising, but I also see a 5.24 ERA and a one and three record. So for me, it's cool that he can blow guys away, but it's not cool that he's averaging five runs a game. There are first-year players, though, with you. Uh, Justin Watts, for example, 17 strikeouts, 10 in the third. Joey Murray, 14 strikeouts and eight innings. Is there some guy where you go, this is the best out pitch that I've seen this year with the Seas? Yeah, you know what? And, and it's funny. You just touched on him right at the end of that. It, and, and, and it's funny because you look at this organization and you say to yourself, okay, well, what do they have here with this 2018 class? And Joey Murray kind of tucked in in that eighth round out of Kent State University a tremendous change-up, like one of the best change-ups that I've seen in the last five years. And he's very vanilla. Like, if you talk to him, he's vanilla. And if you see him on the mound, he's just serviceable. There's, there's no, you know, second layer of icing. There's just that very basic vanilla cake until you look at the stats and you realize that he doesn't let a lot of fly balls happen. Everything's burned into the ground and everything is, you know, down in the zone. And he does textbook pitching. And I think when you come from a good program like Kent State, you're going to get those kind of results. Now, there's a guy in, in difference to Jose Espada, 14 strikeouts in eight innings, but each and every one of those strikeouts is memorable. He had five strikeouts in two innings against Salem. Salem had five of the top 10 hitters in the Northwest League in their lineup. Joey Murray made them look very human. So, you know, you look at Jose Espada for what he's not. Joey Murray is a guy that I see progressing and probably, if everything goes well, finishes the season up there with you and Lansing. Rob Fay coming to us right now from Boise, Idaho, the humanitarian city, on the road through <laughs> next the 19th, next Thursday, and then they're back home at the Nat against Hillsborough at Rob Fay Nation on Twitter. You are the humanitarian, Rob. I'm, not, I'm the least person that would ever identify with this city, man. I'm definitely not a humanitarian. It's, it's 101 degrees right now, Jesse. The last thing I want to do is go outside and be humanitarian. So I'm going to hang out in my hotel room as long as I can and wait for next week's episode of Around the Nest. Seven days away. You keep cool. Canadians stay hot. Rob Faye, thank you very much. My pleasure, Jesse. And from Rob with Vancouver, we move up the ladder to single-A Lansing. I'm joined now by the Lansing Lugnuts, Dante DeCaria, Diamond Dante, joining me on Around the Nest, Jay talking around the organization. Dante, how about the Lansing Lugnuts after going 1-6 uh, and six recently over the course of the last homestand? They go on, out on the road, and they have caught fire out in Burlington, Iowa. Well, 
at the start of the second half, the main key to victory, or at the start of July even, was pitching. The Lugnuts went into Great Lakes and had great starts from Maverick Buffo, Donnie Sellers, um, maybe even uh, Maximo Castillo, who's on the mound tonight against Burlington. And then all of a sudden, the pitching unraveled a little bit. It wasn't as good as it was at the start of the second half. And then the hitting was not there at all. So the team was not pitching well, and they were not hitting over the course of that 1-6 and six record against uh, West Michigan and against South Bend. And then all of a sudden, in this series, we come here to Burlington, Iowa, team starts hitting again. That Like, wow. I mean, you know, let's talk about Ryan Oda quickly. I think that he has really caught fire in this series. He's, he's picked up um, a couple doubles. He has a triple. He's driven in half the runs that the Lugnets have scored. I mean, you talk about a guy that can carry a team. It is Chavez Young and Ryan Oda because you don't want to forget about Chavez. I just listened to Rob Faye talking about how he has been a spark for, uh, or he was a spark for the Canadians towards the end of last year. He's been a spark for this team lately as well. Chavez Young yesterday with the grand slam. We've seen it defensively. And then the slam yesterday. You've had the chance to converse with him about recent baseball. What has stood out? Well, the first thing is, um, going back to how you mentioned that he's really good defensively, one thing that I would like to mention before I talk about his bat is how manager Cesar Martin says that uh, he's one of, he has one of the best arms he's seen since he has been coaching in his Blue Jays organization. And then on to his hitting. I think Chavez Young, um, over the course of maybe his previous 10 games, was just striking out too much. Of course, he did have a couple Ks last night, but he hit that grand slam home run. And now that he's having to take on a bigger role, I think he put a lot of pressure on himself. So now that the coaching staff had a team meeting a few days ago saying, all right, everybody needs to know their role and be themselves. And Chavez Young, as a number three hitter, needs to get on base and drive in a run here here and there for Ryan Noda, who's hitting behind him, and Brandon Grizzolanik, who's batting fifth. Now, with Chavez Young, of course, he's first in the Midwest League in doubles. That is amazing. His speed is so good, he can stretch a single into a double. But he's pounding the baseball into the gaps from both sides of the plate. And I think he is a really good number three hitter and can be down the road, whether it's an advanced A, double A, or triple A, and even in the major leagues one day. Another player who stepped up recently for Lansing formerly of the Dunedin Blue Jays, how about Matt Gunter's back-to-back six-inning one-run starts? Yeah, I think Matt Gunter has pitched very well over his last four starts. And the one key to his success is the fact that he's not pitching scared. And I'm not making this up, Jesse. He actually told both you and I this in a previous interview that he did after his last outing. I asked him, what's the key to your success? And he says, Dante, I'm not pitching scared. I'm throwing my fastball inside. I'm throwing my fastball outside, and I'm using my changeup effectively. We know that he has the best changeup on this Lugnet staff and maybe one of the best changeups in the Blue Jays organization around the minor leagues, but he only throws 86-87 with his fastball. If he gets strike one with that fastball, the changeup becomes so deadly that you probably can't hit it, and he has great control with it. It's the same thing with Orlando Pasquale, who has another world-class changeup. So I think Gunter has really figured things out with his fastball and getting it for strike one and then using his changer for the second and third pitch. Lastly, and just to let everyone know what goes on behind the curtain, I asked Dante, Dante, what do you want to focus on around the nest this week? And he said, Reggie Pruitt's speed. Well, here's your chance. Dave Panel, the Lancy Lugnes position coach, told me that Reggie Pruitt can run on any count, any pitch, 
and at any time that he's on base. But the one thing is that he needs to actually get on first base. And I know that Dave mentioned that he had struggled a little bit with the Vancouver Canadiens last year. I remember hearing Rob talk about this over the course of Around the Nest this year. But it seems like Pruitt is putting together much better swings over the course of the last few games. We saw him have two hits uh, two nights ago. Last night he had a good game, um, and he's playing good defense. And the Lugnuts said, all right, you're not playing good defense right now. We're going to move you to right field. And he's like, all right, I got to work much harder to get a better first step and play better defensively. And now they put him back in center field. And I think that's boosted his confidence at the plate because he has not only seen the ball, but he is also hitting the ball with confidence and he's being aggressive at home plate. Dante DiCaria on Twitter at Diamond underscore Dante. The Lugnuts are on the road. Burlington tonight at Clinton starting tomorrow and then back home next Wednesday, taking on the Peoria Chiefs and then the Cedar Rapids Colonels at Cooley Law School Stadium. Go to LansingLugnuts.com for the latest info. Dante, thank you very much for joining me. Hey, Jesse, you always know I'm happy to come on around the nest and uh, look forward to hearing uh, Dunedin Blue Jays talks and up through the rest of the system. Thanks. And let's do that right now. Let me bring in Jim Tarabokia from the DJs. Jim, how was your last week? Uh, going well, buddy. How are you? I'm doing very well. We begin with your scoreless baseball because of how dominant a series you just concluded from your pitchers, from the starters and right on through. Take me through the kind of pitching you have seen recently. Uh, I've never seen anything like um you know what's uh <clears throat> what we just saw i mean you know when when you uh go back and and think about that accomplishment of of just in the series of with Clearwater alone um what was it scoreless in thirty five or thirty six innings that's you know that's unfamable uh, you know and you know when you think about it too with Clearwater they're not a bad ball club either so uh, for our pitching staff to uh to do that is it's pretty remarkable and just to see guys with their command and, and just pouring strike after strike after strike. And, and, you know, even in that Clearwater series, uh, the contact that was made, it wasn't hard. It wasn't loud. So uh, it was, it's really something. And we hope that continues on into the series uh, against Tampa tonight, which is um, a big one because they're right on the heels of, uh, of us, Dunedin and, and Lakeland um, in the North division, which is again, very bunched up right now because of the second half. This second half, compared to the first half, could you tell that that eight-game winning streak was going to happen? Could you tell we are ready for the second half of this season? Um, no, I didn't think the eight-game winning streak would happen because last year's uh, winning streak high, and you know, you know that team and how good that team really was. Um, <clears throat> that high last year was five, and, and I told people that around the office, and they were kind of surprised. Um, but it was only five games. I mean, I think at one point we won like ten of twelve, but it, 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 or maybe it was like I don't know nine of twelve. I don't know. But uh, the the winning streak high last year was five. Um, the last time we won, I'm trying to think now. Um, <clears throat> the last time we won, I think it was seven games. Um, in a row with 2016, August of 2016. And the last time we won nine in a row was the same year we won 10 in a row, which was in 2008. And that team didn't really have many eye-popping big leaguers on it. It's just a good overall ball club. Um, but that was, I think that and that 10-game winning streak might be one of the longest in, in franchise history. So um, I didn't see it coming, you know. And then plus with the Florida State League, you know, you play these teams so many times throughout the year and you see them so many times that, you know, mathematically, um, how it shakes out, you're bound to cancel each other out, if you will, um, and, and 
had a team of loss, you know, here and there. So I, I didn't expect it. Plus, with Clearwater, they've played us really well this year. And, um, you know, St. Lucie's always kind of a, a pesky opponent, at least the last two years that I've been here. So I didn't see it coming. But, I, you know, you kind of uh, got the idea that maybe, um, you know, with this team that we have, the, with the lineup now more balanced, um, with the addition of Brock Lundquist towards the bottom, and now even moving up in the order, and now – you know, that kind of sinks Casey Clemens a little bit so he can get some more pitch to hit. And uh, he's been doing a lot better as of late, making some louder contact. He had an RBI single last night. You kind of saw this team could make a run. Eight-game winning streak, that's all. That's fun. But, um, you know, now that's in the past. And now the team's looking forward to really, um, you know, really making that playoff push here for the second half. And they've got a real opportunity to do it if they can, you know, come out ready to play um, every single night. I'm going to stick with one of the players you just mentioned. How about Brock Lundquist and the way that he has burst on the scene? Yeah, he's very. He seems very, uh, very relaxed. You know, which is uh, something that you know manager Casey Candell has really uh, preached to these guys, um, really the whole year. But it's really starting to come to fruition now. That's that's one thing with this ball club that wasn't there in the first half. It was a little bit. Uh, they were tense on the field for whatever reason. Um, in the second half, they're just playing loose, and you could tell because they're playing a lot better defense. They've got the best fielding percentage in the league in the month of July when they had the worst fielding percentage in the league in April and May. Um, their fielding percentage is great in June. They're doing the little things correctly. Um, so you, you can just tell that, uh, you know, Lundquist, with his addition, um, he's, a lot, you know, he's a loose guy, and he fits right into the clubhouse that right now is just very loose on and off the field. You've got the core that won from the Vancouver Canadiens last year and won in the first half of the Lansing Lugnuts. And another addition, let me ask you, what was your first impression of Maverick Buffo? Man, that was that was a lot of fun to watch him pitch like that. Um, you know, who would have expected that? And not just not doesn't take anything away from his talent, but eight innings in his advanced day Dunin debut. Um, you know, I think that might be a career high for him, if not a season high, right? So, um, just to, just how he was dealing that night, he just looked so relaxed. He, I, I mean, you know, again, he's not a hard thrower, but. Um, he wherever Riley put the glove, he was hitting his spots, and that's exactly what you need to do is throw up that strike zone when you're not a hard thrower, uh, especially from the right side. So um, for him to be able to do that and the way he did, it was just masterful that night. It was it was a lot of fun to watch, and you know that's one thing you know with with uh, Angel going down on the disabled list and uh, Taylor Salcedo going up to the Double A level. Um, there was some question with this starting pitching staff, you know, where will they be in a couple of weeks and a month from now? And just to have, uh, you know, Maverick kind of prove that he can do it at this level in his uh, first start. Now he's going to be tested tomorrow against Tampa tomorrow night, but, um, you know, do it against Clearwater, uh, a team that, again, is very good offense. They did lose two of their best hitters to double-A, but they're very good offensively. They're second in the league in many offensive categories behind Charlotte, especially in runs scored, OPS, slugging. So um, for him to go out there and do that against Clearwater, it was, it was uh, really fun to watch. And um, I, I think that with, with how well he did, that, that answers somewhat the question of what's the starting rotation going to be like and who's going to step into those, um, those spots in the rotation um, that, that were open with a couple of guys that, well, one went, that went down and the other one that um, went up to the AA level. So we were happy to see that with Maverick, and we hope it continues. Quick story about Maverick Buffo is that his slider has become a sensation here with the Lansing Lugnuts. Dante, doing his research, 
He taught it to Kyle Weatherly. A couple of other guys are experimenting. Maverick Buffo from the three-quarter arm angle throws what he calls basically throwing a slider like you'd throw a curveball. And the guys love it. That was his out pitch here. And it's turning into an out pitch for other guys. So keep your eye out for Mavs slider. Jim Terabokia on Twitter, at Jim Terra. Uh, the Dunedin, uh, Dunedin Blue Jays are on the road at Tampa. And then they come back home to take on the Florida Firefrogs. And then the Tampa Tarpons next week. DunedinBlueJays.com. Jim, thank you very much for your time. All right, man. Have a good one. Take care. All right, up to double A now. The New Hampshire Fisher Cats and the Zick. Tyler Zickel, how are you? Oh, Jesse, I'm superb. I'm calling you from Ocean Park, Maine, just outside of Old Orchard Beach, for another tilt against those pesky Portland Sea Dogs tonight at Classic Hadlock Field. Now let's go back a bit, though. Before this, the Eastern League All Star Game. Did you have a chance to keep your eye on all the festivities? I did the best I could to take a much-needed uh, moratorium, if you will, on baseball news and information, but I couldn't help check in every so often on Twitter and, of course, on the MILB app to see how the Fisher Cats were doing. Jonathan Davis leading off in center field. He made a spectacular catch in the first inning. The back starter, Jordan Romano, who worked the perfect first. T.J. Zoit came on later, went down one, two, three in his inning of work. And Kevin Biggio continuing to collect hits no matter what the situation this time an exhibition, but went one for three, had a walk, of course, being the Eastern League leader in walks. So all told, a good showing for the Fisher Cats down at Darman Hammer Park. Let's stick with Jonathan Davis. He goes up to AAA. You get Dalton Pompey. How about J.D. getting that promotion? Well, overdue is the first thing I'd have to say about it, Jesse. Jonathan Davis was AAA ready at the start of this season, but of course with the depth at the outfield position in AAA and in the big leagues, Jonathan Davis just the odd man out, but he continued to work, continued to be that all-star both on and off the field that we all now know that he is within the system. And this tri- uh, AAA promotion for Jonathan could not have come at a better time, especially after hitting for the cycle earlier this season, the first ever in Fisher Cats history, then had a grand slam in his very last swing as a cat in our final game of the first half on Sunday. He goes and performs at the All-Star game and, of course, gets the nod to Buffalo. So right now, everything's coming up Jonathan Davis. And while certainly selfishly, we here at the Fisher Cats would have loved to keep him for a whole season and a playoff push, he was overdue to spread his wings and fly up to Buffalo. That said, one game in, you're enjoying having Dalton Pompey, right? They have. I'm so sorry. That was the second part of the question. Dalton Pompey, it's certainly uh, a nice addition to the roster. Of course, he's got some veteran experience, even though he's only 25. Of course, that big league time as well. And a nice guy to slot in as soon as you lose Jonathan Davis. In fact, I sat down with our manager, John Schneider, yesterday, and he said that getting Dalton was kind of like slowly peeling off the Band-Aid from J.D., not quite the same as uh, having to deal with all the pain all at once. So it was certainly a helpful way for us to – get through the idea that Jonathan Davis will not be at the top of our lineup. But that said, you take out Jonathan Davis and put in a big league caliber player like Dalton Pompey, no complaints for us at the top of the order and in center field. With your New Hampshire lineup in general, do you have a hotter batter than Harold Ramirez? Absolutely not. Ramirez certainly and Fuego batting Buku numbers, bonkers numbers, if you will, in July. I don't have the exact stat right in front of me, but Harold went three for three, or had three hits last night, had three hits in his last game of the first half as well. And this is another guy, Jesse, who I think, like Jonathan Davis, is overdue for a promotion sooner rather than later should the depth start at the higher level work out. But Ramirez continuing to swing the bat. And in, in the corner outfield positions, certainly passable as an outfielder, but that said, 
We just talked about it with Jonathan Davis. How is Harold Ramirez going to slot in as a potential outfielder in an already chock-full AAA outfield for Buffalo? And let me finish things off by simply saying, did you have a chance to talk to your All-Stars who are there in Treadon about their experience? So Jordan Romano and TJ Zoic, they arrived at the ballpark in Portland with the staff bus yesterday. They were coming via a flight from down in New Jersey, and they both were raving about their experience. Quickly checked in with Kevin Biggio, who said he had an enjoyable time, and he also has a lot of family down in the New Jersey area. So it was sort of a family reunion of sorts for him as well. And didn't get to say anything to Jonathan Davis, of course, because didn't see him. But prior to him leaving, we had a nice moment just to share, in general, my appreciation for his character. But all told, those all-stars, certainly glad they did it, but more importantly, glad to be back with the Cats. And to be honest, Jesse, New Hampshire right now in a bit of a scuffle. Lost four of their last five before the break. Lost a tough one last night when they were leading 4 nothing, and the lead fizzled out with five unanswered runs by the Sea Dogs. So looking forward tonight to see Taylor Salcedo's second double-A start. Looking for him to capture some of that advanced day magic here in double-A for the first time. And New Hampshire needs a win, Jesse. Let's just be honest. It may be a two-horse race in the Eastern Division for those two playoff spots, but a win's a win, and you've got to make sure that you take care of business yourself and not rely on other people around the league to take care of it for you. We'll see how saucy you are feeling tonight. And then the Fisher Cats come back home to take on those Trenton Thunder on July the 16th. It is a fun race at the top of the division right now. The Fisher Cats just back, climbing upward, and it's going to continue throughout the rest of the season. NHFisherCats.com is how you check on. And he's Tyler Zickel, voice of the Fisher Cats on the road and voice on the field when they are at home, one of the larger-than-life personalities that you'll find in minor league baseball. Not a good guy to be talking with at any point. Tyler, thank you very much. Well, Jesse, thanks very much. Always a pleasure to dock at the nest and talk to you next time. All right. And from Tyler in New Hampshire, let's move up the ladder and let's talk with the voice of the herd. Pat Malacara will finish us off. Let's talk AAA Buffalo Bisons. Pat, how was your last week? Hey, Jesse. It's been a little crazy here in Buffalo pretty much since the start of July. There really hasn't been many long series um, for the Bisons. It's been a lot of two-day, three-day, four-day series back and forth. So uh, after we get done in Lehigh Valley the next couple of days, it'll be nice to settle in at home for uh, six straight days to take on Durham and uh, Norfolk's. But uh, the Bisons had a nice win yesterday over Lehigh Valley, so it's a good way to start what I call the ceremonial second half of the season because we're already past the halfway point. I like that. Let's talk about your All-Stars. Were you following along with the International League against the PCL All-Star game? I did a little bit. Now, admittedly, we were on a bus to, to Allentown, PA. Um, we had a, a handful of guys and a couple of staff members. We traveled uh, the day before here to Allentown. So we got into town around 9.30 at night. So right about the time we made our uh, pit stop, about halfway was when uh, the All-Star game started. But I kept one eye on it through uh, through social media and saw that Jason Lovlevigian and Danny Jansen uh, both performed pretty well. And for Lev, it, it was his second time going to the AAA All-Star game. He's just the third member in the modern era for the Bisons, which is from 1985 to now, to go to back-to-back All-Star games with the Bisons. So uh, it's something that he found out about and something that I think he second time around was able to enjoy a little bit more knowing the schedule and how those quick, really two and a half days shake out. I had written down to ask you about Dwight Smith Jr. I just saw that Dwight's going back up to the major leagues. How has he been recently? Yeah, he's been a little bit up and down. I think, you know, since coming back from the big leagues the last time, 
um, working on his swing and working on his, his ability at the plate uh, and in the field. He's a guy that, you know, he's never going to blow you away with any single attribute, but he's a guy that's just steady and consistent in, in the outfield for this team, where really they've got three outfielders at any time that can run any baseball down. And for Dwight, it's that deceptive speed. I think for him, it's knowing the angles better than, than others. You know, a guy like Roman Fields, he can play a little bit shallower. He can play all over the place because he can run anything down with just the natural speed that he has. But for Dwight, I feel like he is able to diagnose the play right off the crack of the bat and always finds himself in the right position. And even though he might not, you know, blaze with the speed, he, he figures out a way to get to the baseball. So I think that's one of his biggest attributes. And, you know, for him, he's been one of those guys. He's on the 40-man roster. Uh, he's available for John Gibbons and, and Ross Atkins when they need an extra outfielder or an extra player in general. So, you know, credit to him that he has uh, filled in that role a couple of times this year and uh, is willing to take on that role. Speaking with Pat Malacaro about the AAA Buffalo Bisons, a question from Bluebird Banter about what's going on with Anthony Alford, who seemed to be heating up in June, but not so in July. Yeah, you know, Anthony, I think, is still trying to find his way here at AAA. He's the guy who would have started this season here and not been for the hamstring injury that he suffered during the spring. And, you know, talked to some people around baseball. They thought he was the best Blue Jay, period, uh, with the way he played the outfield and was swinging the bat this past spring. So that hampered him a little bit. He got going again, but at AAA, Look, there are teams that make really fast adjustments, and that's something that, as a player, you have to adjust to as well. And I think Anthony is figuring that out. He's figuring out, all right, we're playing the Lehigh Valley team now that he's seen a handful of times, and they have pretty good scouting uh, reports. They, they have all the numbers at their disposal, and there's a lot of veteran pitchers in this league. So that's something that Anthony really, for the first time, is having to experience. For some guys, it comes quicker than others. And I think for Anthony, we're starting to see that. Uh, he's hit safely at three straight now, and uh, he's been a guy that has been towards the middle third of the order as well. So he doesn't get much protection in the lineup. He'll have to go up there and figure it out on his own. Another player I was curious about, what have you been seeing recently from Richard Urania? Uh He's another guy that's been a little bit up and down. He's, he's so talented defensively, uh, but at times I think that can hurt him as well, where he thinks he can almost get to anything hit on the infield. And there are times where uh, he might play himself into a bad hop or a bad situation. But in general, uh, Richard has been a very nice addition to this Bison team. And with Lourdes Scorial Jr. going back to the big leagues and seemingly playing well uh, at the big leagues as well and figuring into the plans, at least for now, for the Blue Jays, for Rangers getting a lot of playing time up the middle, both at second and at shortstop. He'll be at short again today for the Bisons. And if he can continue to play well up the middle and then add, add in some good swings to the bat, He's still very young. He's got a long, uh, lot of time to figure things out. And I think uh, once it all clicks completely, um, you're going to see Urania be uh, a mainstay in the middle third in the order. On the pitching side, he had long been due to pitch at Buffalo. The suspension ended. Thomas Pannone joined you. What was your impression of his first start? Yeah, he, he was a guy that, you know, as advertised, doesn't have overpowering stuff, but he's very deceptive in – he really used that to his advantage, had a, a good high fastball working against uh, the Chiefs, which Syracuse does not strike out a lot as a team. They're one of the lowest strikeout teams in the league, and Pannone had six strikeouts, and he helped, he gave up seven hits. I mean, he, he got hit around a little bit, but he never, I felt like, was in trouble in the game. He gave up a two-run home run in the third inning, 
pitched uh, pretty well over six innings, and I think he's going to figure out here at AAA that you've got a lot of veteran hitters, and it's a, it's a opportunity that he's going to try and make the most out of. And I think uh, he's scheduled to start tomorrow. I think for him, it'll be a good test against the Lehigh Valley team that has a guy like Dylan Cousins in the lineup to go along with a lot of veteran hitters, guys like Dean Anna at this level, uh, even former Bison Danny Espinosa, who's been really struggling at the plate. You've got a nice mix of youth and veteran players, so it'll be a good test tomorrow for Canone uh, against this Lehigh Valley team, which leads the league not only the IL North, but uh, has the best record in the International League period. We're a week or so in advance. I don't care. I want to look ahead as we finish things up to your promotional schedule. Because I'm looking okay. at Friday, July the 20th, as the tribute to Greece. And then we've got Dino Night coming up on the 21st. What are you looking forward to the most at Coca-Cola Field when you return home? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Teddy the T-Rex and Vinny Velociraptor. I mean, it'll be a, it'll be a fun night at the ballpark. Uh, Dino Day was pretty fun last year. It was the first time promotion that we did it last season. And um, it was well-received by both uh, parents and kids and uh, due to see it again here this year. So it'll be fun. Uh, Grease is a movie I grew up as a kid uh, watching a couple of times, so I'm well familiar with uh, Danny Zuko and the bunch and, and uh, all the, the music and all that goes along with it. So it'll be a fun night at the ballpark coming up this, this Friday, but I think Dino Day and uh, our promotions on Saturday are pretty good where um, Labatt uh, is a local company in Buffalo. Their headquarters are in Buffalo, and they actually uh, have a promotion where They'll put up an inflatable beer bottle in right field um, out of the grassy berm beyond the right field wall. And if a Bison player hits a home run off that on the line, it has to be straight. It can't, it can't bounce first. Um, someone will win beer for a year. So, uh, you know, that's a promotion that I think is going to gain a lot of popularity as the rest of the season goes on. Wow. Well, happy ceremonial second half of the season to you, Pat. On Twitter at PatWGR, Pat Malacaro, Voice of the Herd. Thank you very much for your time. Glad to join you as always, Jesse. Take care. Absolutely. And that does it for another week of Around the Nest, Jay talking our way around the organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts. We are on Twitter at Around Nest. The Minor Leaguer at Minor underscore Leaguer does such great work in helping me out. He's the one that you see tweeting everything out. Via Bluebird Banter, our SB Nation partner, you can always ask us any questions. Certain questions, it's difficult to supply you answers to. Injuries, for example, are confidential. It's simply confidential information between the player and the athletic trainer. And so that's something that we honestly can't help you out that much with. But if it's observations that I can see and I can say, oh, Maverick Buffo, let's talk about his slider, that's always a joy. Or any fun little stories that come up. For example, uh, four years ago, where uh, we were in Burlington, Iowa, where we currently are, the Lansing Lugnuts taking on the Burlington Bees. And we played back-to-back games. One went 14 innings, one went 15 innings. That added up to over eight hours. And now here we are back again, and I look over into the booth to my right. And just to end the podcast on a quick story, and I say, uh, just making pleasant conversation between the half inning, hey, how are the Burlington Bees doing this year? And the guy that I ask, he says, hey, uh, by the way, do you work for the Blue Jays? And I replied, well, I work for the Lansing Lugnuts, so kind of, not really, a more Lugnuts employee than Blue Jays employee. And he said, I was just wondering, because my brother's a Blue Jay. And I said, really? Go on. He said, my brother is a shortstop. He's a Blue Jay shortstop. 
And I said, your name? Well, I'm sitting right next to Tyler Warmoth, Logan Warmoth's older brother, who had been a pitcher in the Angel system. He was released in spring training, and the Angel said, you know what? If you want to come back as a coach, coach for us. And that Tyler Warmoth is coaching for the Burlington Bees. And now we're talking all about his brother, and we'll see if today we can introduce Tyler with all of his brother's former and maybe future teammates as well and coaching staff, all of the guys that were with Logan Warmoth with the Vancouver Canadians. Fun things like that happen over the course of the season. But just catching up with Tyler Warmoth and talking baseball side-by-side in Burlington, Iowa. This has been Around the Nest for another week. Here's wishing you well. Enjoy the baseball. We'll be back in seven days.